0: the Ask N.T. Wright Anything podcast.
1: Welcome to another classic episode of Ask N.T. Write Anything. I'm Peter Byram, and we're going back to an episode from 2020 today. In this episode, Tom Wright answered listener questions about the life of the Apostle Paul, whether he wrote all the letters attributed to him, and whether contemporary Christians need to agree with all the views that he gives. Welcome back to the programme. Uh, it's a great joy to be joined again
2: by Tom Wright, who is the author of many books, including, of course, uh, the best-selling book, Paul, A Biography. Uh, which came out we were trying to work this out before we started recording tom but we about two years ago now early 2018 2018. yes that makes sense we've got questions Mm -hmm. on the apostle Mm -hmm. paul Uh, we've done that before but there are so many things that people ask about this that it's time (laughs) we revisited it an area of expertise for you of course um and so i think we'll we'll dive straight in if that's Mm -hmm. all right tom um now First question from Daniel in Lemington Spa says, there are often questions raised about the authorship of various parts of the New Testament. For instance, which of Paul's letters did Paul actually write? How important are those types of questions? In other words, does it actually matter if Paul didn't write some of the letters he's purported to have written?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. And over the last two or three hundred years, people have raised that question again and again um, in relation to different parts of the Pauline corpus interestingly I mean there were some in the middle of the 19th century very skeptical German scholars who said that Paul didn't write any of those letters so actually what do we mean by the word Mm. Paul if Mm. we don't have any letters from him especially if Acts was written as a fiction later on are we sure there even was a Paul Mm. Um, and people have come right back from that to say no it makes far more sense historically to think there really was a Paul and he really did go around and he really did write letters Um, then it becomes a question of of two things of style and content. And people have said, well, uh, the style of these letters is very different from the style of those letters. So these look like the real Paul. Let's take Romans and Galatians. Um, And then you move to uh, Ephesians and Colossians. And some people say it's written in a very different style. Mm -hmm. And then other people say, and the content's different too, because in Romans and Galatians, he's saying that what matters is justification by faith. And in Ephesians and Colossians, it's much more about being in Christ. And at that point, I and many others, I should say, hold up our hands and say, hang on. Who says that these are incompatible with one another? In fact, when you look at Galatians, there's a lot about being in Christ there, and it's welded together with justification by faith. In Romans, Paul expounds it a bit differently, but it's all one letter and it's all Mm. coming together. And actually, the biggest stylistic difference in the whole Pauline corpus, and I speak as one who's translated the whole Mm, thing, mm. um, is between 1 and 2 Corinthians. And that's explicable because in 1 Corinthians, he's quite cheerful. It's a bit Mm, of a knockabout mm. thing. You've asked me these questions, and here are these issues, and we go through them, and we nail the issues, and Mm. we put it all to bed, and there we are. In 2 Corinthians, he's fighting his way back from a terrible, horrible time, Mm. which we would describe almost as a nervous breakdown. And you can feel it in the sentence structure, that it's coming out all jerky and awkward and difficult. And he's been through really hell on wheels and back again. Um, and, And so when we look at the style, I want to say... Paul writes in various different styles Mm. and it's very difficult to to say we now know that Paul looks like this and therefore that can't be him the one letter that I really find each time I read through Paul and I read through Paul in Greek usually probably once or twice a year um, each time I hit first Timothy, I think, "Oh, this really sounds and feels sound very different like the rest okay. um, and th- there are various clues for that. Um, the way he uses certain key phrases just aren 't the same as the way he uses them elsewhere at the same time i 'm aware. A generation ago, John Robinson wrote a book called Redating the New Testament when he said, you know, as a bishop and as a theologian and as a preacher and pastor, I write letters to the clergy, I write books, I write uh, learned articles it all comes out differently each Mm. time. Why shouldn't somebody Mm. like Paul, Mm. who was nothing if not a brilliant mind, Mm. write in quite a different register? So the real issues then come down to theology. And it used to be said very emphatically, Ephesians and Colossians, let alone the pastoral letters, the Timothys and Titus, um, this must be later than Paul. But actually, all it takes is a very slight shift of perception of what Paul is all about, and they all come back in. Mm. So the real question is: How do we understand the centre of what Paul was talking about? So I want to say: Let's keep the questions on the table because it's always worth mm. asking. Um, and I'm not phased by asking those I, questions. I mean, if if it could be shown, you know,
2: proven more or less yeah, that yeah. at least some of the letters are yeah. written in Paul's name but weren't written by him, perhaps well, some sort of community trying to yes. to channel Paul. Is that going to be a problem, given that they do
3: claim to be authored yes, by Paul? Yes, yes. I mean, then people get into the debate about how widespread was the phenomenon of pseudonymous authorship, of people writing in somebody else's name? And it's possible that sometimes in the ancient world, somebody gives a scribe um, the task of writing up a letter and says, I need to write so and so, I want to say this and this and this and this. Could you draft it for me? And they sort write it, but with the bullet points. That th- kind they of they, they, they write it in their yeah. own way. Yeah. That's possible. I don't mm. think we have very good first century evidence okay. that that sort of thing was widespread. Or that somebody writing in somebody else's name um, wouldn't have been perceived as a bit odd um, mm. there are debates about that okay. some people say no that was perfectly common I'm not convinced about that so it w- it would raise it would raise the questions of course how would you prove it there have been, st- there have been studies done on the stylometric analysis you know, put into a computer mm. and see mm. and part of the problem is that the, 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 the sample is too small <laughs> yes, um, yes. To, to get any yeah. solid generalizations
2: I mean, his name comes up quite frequently on this podcast, but Bart Ehrman wrote a book a while ago now called Forged uh, on oh, yeah, this very yeah, 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 issue yeah. of letters in the New Testament being passed off that he believes were, were not written by Paul. Right, and right. So. And he, he kind of trumpeted that as a big problem for yeah, the New yeah, Testament, yeah. that basically this document that's supposed to have this you know divine authority is nevertheless basically got forgeries in it right is, right is his I, point. Mean, I mean, do you yeah, not that's true that but, way? The, but
3: the word forgery um is a very modern word and would have mm. modern connotations in the ancient world i'm not sure it would really work that way mm-hmm. um uh, as i say i've lived with these letters day and night for most <laughs> of my adult life and um the older I get, as I say, I still do get puzzled by First Timothy, but that may be just yeah, my problem, yeah. and I don't want to project it onto sure. Paul. I think if all we had of the past was Second Timothy, there wouldn't be a problem. And I am quite convinced, as was my teacher George Caird, that Ephesians and Colossians are thoroughly Pauline. And it, it really is a matter of how you understand his whole theological mm. position.
2: Um, let's go to another question on Paul. John in Pittsburgh says big fan of the show i've mm-hmm. always enjoyed your works tom uh, i have a question i feel a little silly asking but i fundamentally have a problem with the idea of paul it seems odd that jesus trained and then charged the 12 apostles to go out and spread the word but just after his death and resurrection he appeared before this completely unrelated fellow mm-hmm. and imbued him with authority to the point where his teaching play an outsized role in our understanding of jesus at least compared to that of the apostles why not enlist paul prior to his death and resurrection instead of just after
3: to put it bluntly why should i believe paul <laughs> that's a great question um and and i mean i i hear what's being said there it does seem odd at the general level um there are many theological questions which people ask in terms of if i were god would i have arranged it like that yeah. and the answer was a oh, sorry mate you're not and just get used <laughs> to it and and that god's world is full of oddities uh, of things that we wouldn't have done like that fortunately god is god and, and I mean, not who, us
2: who ever thought of a god coming down and getting himself crucified, well like, for starters? well <laughs> that too
3: that too um I mean in retrospect one can sometimes see some of the reasons why certain things are it's very interesting that Paul himself, faced with a question of why has this happened like this, intrudes the word perhaps when he's writing to Philemon about Onesimus. He says, Perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while so that you could have him back. In other words, I'm not gonna say this was absolutely what God was up to, but though it seemed very odd when he arrived and I happen to know you and oh dear, how are we gonna sort this out? maybe there is a purpose to it and so i want to say perhaps with a big p for the perhaps that what god was doing was emphasizing the radicalness of the new thing that was happening by taking somebody who was a ferociously zealous pharisaic jew Mm. and jesus appearing to him uh, the risen jesus in such a way that he had no choice but to say, okay, <laughs> I see, mm. right, um, because only somebody who had come through that mm. would be able to do and be the things that he had to do and be. And, of course, there is an ongoing, curious, apparent tension between Paul and the Jerusalem apostles, which yes. we see in Galatians, which we see in Second Corinthians, and they're working it out. Mm. They have to live with that, and that too, I think, perhaps, <laughs> is part of the point that church unity is never straightforward and that we have to live with the fact that there's some people there who seem to be teaching some weird stuff and we just don't get it how on earth do we maintain Mm. unity across that and paul kind of embodies that question in himself um but but i think it's particularly Um, The great joke of it is that when God wants to convert the Gentiles, he takes a zealous Pharisaic Jew Mm. and says, right, this is your job. (laughs) Uh, How does that work? God has a sense of humor. But it's all part of the extraordinary apocalypse, the the radical unveiling of something radically new, which is nevertheless the fulfillment of what was promised. Mm. And Paul embodies all of that. Another really interesting question
2: here from an anonymous person in Kent. Says, is it okay to disagree with Paul? Many people seem to be trying to reinterpret him to make him more palatable to today's sensibilities. Isn't it just easier and more honest to say, Paul was a man of his time. That was then. This is now. How should we apply kingdom or gospel values now? And accept that it might need to look different today. If Paul were around today, how would he apply and live out his discipleship? If he were writing letters to today's churches, I suspect his instruction might be very different. Two thousand years of different trajectory hermeneutics you might want to mm-hmm. say what, what exactly that <laughs> means uh, attempt to project this kind of thinking forward so yeah, yeah is it okay to yeah. disagree with paul and just accept he, he was a man of his time and if he was doing the same thing now he might be issuing different sorts of instructions to christians
3: yes there are different sorts of differences yes um and i think the first thing paul would say is that the great turnaround in history has happened with the death and resurrection of jesus there is no other turnaround until jesus comes again and restores all things there is no other similar transformative moment and he paul is at the cutting edge of the beginning of this new post-death and resurrection and ascension and spirit moment um and that therefore he himself wouldn't expect that until Jesus comes again there would be any basic change because the basic things he's talking about are being genuine humans at last and that's not going to change because being genuine humans means bearing God's image into the world and reflecting God's image into the world is going to mean what it meant in scripture and in the teaching of jesus and particularly in and through the death and resurrection of jesus the dealing with evil and the launching of new creation i think paul himself would say that's not going to change but then when it gets to some of the specifics i mean uh trivially when paul wants to go to rome he goes by boat we would probably take a 747 you know (laughs) um are there other things like that in terms of Ethics. I think Paul would say actually no, that um, what Paul is doing is working out in the rich, varied culture of uh, Antioch in Syria, of Ephesus in Western Turkey, of Athens and Corinth in southern Greece, and ultimately of Rome and on beyond. Um, working out the basic issues of what it means to be human of what it means to be a community of renewed humans Mm. neither Jew nor greek slave nor free male nor female that that's again not going to change Mm. the problem is not that we need to change it but that we need to catch up with the vision which paul actually had um i'd love to talk to anonymous in kent about which differences he he or she thinks
2: typically you know if i can bring up two mm, examples mm. one is the way Paul talks in certain passages about women apparently and their role and, and oh, we've sort oh, of talked about that yeah, ourselves yeah, yeah. on another edition of this podcast and and you've you've come to the position that you you don't think necessarily actually Paul was forbidding women quite, leading quite. in so so yeah. the, to some extent that that matter settled for you in that way obviously the other big um, tin of worms is sexuality yeah, yeah, and what Paul yeah, says yeah, about yeah, that yeah, yeah. And, And presumably that's an area where you don't think Paul would necessarily revise his opinions today in light of modern, you know, same-sex partnerships and so Um,
3: on. um, Well, I mean, there were ancient same-sex partnerships as well, Mm. but that's a whole other issue. Um, And Paul in Corinth, Paul in Ephesus, Paul in different parts of the Roman world life is very much lived in public Paul knew about Mm. all sorts of things that were going on and were accessible it's not that Paul was leading a sheltered life and we now know Mm. more than he did on that Um, just like you know Shakespeare knew a huge amount of stuff um, and yet he was 200 years before the Enlightenment how did that happen well the Mm. answer is (laughs) that actually some stuff doesn't change with the calendar deep human insight and so on um, wisdom continues Um, there are passages like Um, first corinthians 11 where paul uses a particular argument for why women should wear head coverings Um, when when leading in worship mm, i mean that's mm, really important he assumes that they're leading in Mm. worship and that they should look like women when they're doing Mm. so um the particular arguments he advances as to why they should wear head coverings is a puzzle to me as to many people and i've looked at some of the contemporary theories and some of them may be right about Mm. that this may have been more of a dialogue where he's quoting things that the church was saying and responding to them I I am agnostic about that Mm. at the moment but in terms of the actual conclusions as to what Christians should believe how they should behave and particularly how the church should be as a community I think he would say you haven't even caught up with me yet so Mm. don't try and get ahead of me until Mm. you've caught up Mm. Um, and I think that's a a real challenge. I I suppose it's always a case
2: of of as wise readers of scripture to know what what trying to work out i think the problem is is what's culturally yeah of something course. that of course. Paul is addressing and what kind of has you know uh, of course. ongoing impact so when paul you know follows the, the household codes regarding slaves and masters and so on yeah. Well, that's not necessarily an endorsement of modern-day slavery or something
3: like that. But this is a very big can of worms in itself, yes. of course, <laughs> but the, the culture of masters and slaves is often quite different from what we think because we are so attuned to the slavery of the Mm. 18th century which was basically white on black etc although there was black on black Mm. slavery going on in africa etc but in the ancient world anybody could be a slave had nothing whatever to do with race Mm. or background or Mm. upbringing all you had to do was lose a battle and you might if you Mm. were lucky to be alive you might well be enslaved for the rest of your life Mm. um and paul's rules about slaves are more like what we would have today as codes for employers and employees and um okay slavery was the way it was practiced was a wicked Mm. institution but paul is humanizing it and putting time bombs beside it in the letter to philemon etc um and the problem about saying well, some things are culturally conditioned, is that actually it's all culturally. Con- the doctrine sure. of justification by faith <laughs> comes straight out of the first century Jewish culture. Do we then put it to one side? We say no. Actually, we have to understand it in its culture, in order then to see what it might mean for us today. Um, so it's not as easy as oh well, that was then, this is now. Um, ethics don't change with the calendar, um, theology doesn't change with it. The, the only change with the calendar is when Jesus of, Jesus Christ died and rose mm-hmm. again and poured out his spirit on his followers. Well, it quite literally changed our calendar, didn't it? Well, um. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and that's very significant.
0: Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I have a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time. And some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask N.T. Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash N.T. That's premierinsight.org forward slash Thank you.
1: Another interesting question
2: here from Penny, who's in upstate mm-hmm. New York and also mentions that they're an online student with N.T. Online, mm-hmm. who, of course, we do this podcast in partnership with. Um, interesting on this when paul known as saul at the time was going about participating in the death of christians were his actions an illegal act with legal punishment under roman law i didn't find an answer to this in your autobiography on Paul. i think that was a slip of the uh, yes the
3: typewriter yes. It, it, it's it's funny people often had the prefix auto to biography without realizing what they just did i hope it isn't an autobiography i have no intention well, of i know that, that kind you probably
2: almost feel like you know paul's mind inside out but not maybe quite enough to call it an autobiography. my fear is
3: that he might know my mind inside out that would be really worrying um no i think it's a very interesting question My sense is that Paul's persecution of Christians takes place within a Jewish context, within a synagogue community, or within the larger world around Jerusalem and that area, where the Jewish rule of the high priests etc would be running paul gets authority from the high priests Mm. he doesn't get authority from the roman governor because this is basically an inner jewish Mm. disciplinary activity in the same way when paul himself goes to synagogue as a christian apostle and talks about jesus and they say you're blaspheming we have to punish you Mm. and he gets the 40 lashes minus one um the local synagogue authority doesn't have to get authority from the roman magistrates Mm. in galatia wherever it is to do that this is an inner synagogue business and so i think paul is acting within the enclosed world of the jews and the romans would say get on do it yourself Mm. like gallio says in corinth in acts 18 when the jewish authorities bring paul before the tribunal Mm. and say this man is teaching us to worship god in illegal ways and gallio says this is a matter an inside matter for you jews sort it out Yeah. Um, Uh, I
2: mean, it it raises all kinds of interesting questions for me at the same time, which is obviously we know Paul was obviously repentant and bitterly regretted the mm -hmm, way he treated followers of Christ um, up to his conversion. Um, But he never, in a sense, after that point, faced legal consequences, if you like, for it. And whereas today, if someone had imprisoned and even murdered Christians and then had some kind of conversion experience and admitted to what they'd done, they would face some kind of legal
3: sanction. Yeah
2: regardless of whether they went on to have
3: some great ministry Uh, as well i Um, I think i mean then it's a question of how does this work within the jewish world at the time and just as we look back on the 16th century and see heretics being burnt at the stake etc and this was very seriously justified by very serious devout and apparently in other words in other ways wise people i mean think of Mm -hmm. thomas more for Mm -hmm. example Mm -hmm. Um, completely justifying burning heretics at the stake because this was a very dangerous disease like cutting out a cancer mm-hmm. we have to deal with this and if we don't we are complicit in their wickedness ourselves and in the same way there would have been many particularly among the more zealous jews of paul's day and zeal is precisely you need to purge the iniquity from israel mm-hmm. i think of the, some of the old testament stories about um uh, dathan and people mm-hmm. um and uh in the pentateuch about people who do this must be cut off from among their people that 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 you're in danger of catching a fell disease Mm. here as a community and we've got to deal with it so i i don't think the question of public law would have entered into it that's interesting um
2: Here's another interesting one about Paul's personality. Mm-hmm. Ryan in Kitchener, Ontario, says, Do you see Paul as having traits of what we call Asperger's or autism today? If he was alive today, <laughs> your picture of him in Paula biography <laughs> makes me think he'd be considered
3: autistic or ASD. Um, that's an interesting question do you have any ideas well on that? of course he's sharing that perception um, with, with, with the Roman magistrate who is trying Paul in Acts 26 and, and Paul is actually addressing King Agrippa who is there mm. one of the Herod family and it is putting him on the spot and saying now Agrippa you believe the prophets don't you and Agrippa is going to say yes mm. because he wants to be a good yeah. Jewish and he says I know you believe the prophets so therefore you believe in resurrection don't you so why and at which point the Roman magistrate yells out Paul you're mad you've been studying <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) too long it's turned your head she says no actually i'm not mad Uh um agrippa knows i'm speaking sober truth so but 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 depending on your culture uh different things that people might quite reasonably do might appear mad um uh, about ten or a dozen years ago, somebody from the New Statesman was sent to interview me it was when I was Bishop of Durham, and they had to come and do an interview mm. with me. And the chap in the interview said that uh, uh, a friend of his from a different denomination from my own, hearing he was coming to interview me, had said he's mad, you know. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. I thought, well, that's nice. Yeah. Um, uh, and and the the New Statesman interviewer was, I think, rather disappointed that I seemed quite normal. <laughs> <and> <laughs> I mean, not not that we're equating Asperges or anything with with madness, but. No, no,
2: but no, the no. point being that person, the, a personality the, the, the pers- a personality, I think, uh, order might might well, I th- I be interpreted in different ways in different cultures. Uh, yes. Yeah.
3: I say in the biography, Paul would have been a very high-maintenance friend. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, we do things like Myers-Briggs patterns. We do things like the Enneagram. We yeah. have ways of lining yeah. people up and saying – and Paul was relentless. There's an, no an intense, question. Yeah. A, a, intense and relentless. Does that mean he had a Spurges or, or something? I, I really don't know. Mm because he was also a high-functioning individual who could not only write about love, the greatest of these is love, but from all that we see, for instance, in First Thessalonians, was a person of utter personal generosity who would weep with people, who would mm. pray with people, who when he had to leave, they, they, would, they would weep because they loved him so much. Um, and I think... I think he was a full-on human being in a way which we rather restrained westerners are mm-hmm. a bit embarrassed about mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. and i i i don't think he had a particular syndrome i think he was just a very vividly alive person <laughs>
2: another um question that is an interesting historical one, Annette mm, in South mm. Africa. Having read Simply Jesus and Paul a biography and others, I'm intrigued by the relationship between Jesus and Paul and wonder if Paul the Pharisee, studying in Jerusalem, probably at the time Jesus was there, ever would have encountered Jesus
3: in person. Mm. What are your speculations on this? Uh, I have wondered that too. There is absolutely no evidence that any such meeting did take place. Um, some people have said in the past that when Paul says in Galatians, he loved me and gave himself for me, we should hook that up with the story of the rich young ruler in Mark 10, when oh, it says right. Jesus looked at him and loved him, and mm. he went away sorrowful. But that I, is fairly speculative. It's I, extremely uh, speculative. Yes. <laughs> um, and it's the kind of speculation uh, on, on which... Uh, C.S. Lewis said in different context, no one would risk 10 shillings in ordinary life. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you, would, you wouldn't lay bets on that. Um, uh, but though Jerusalem was quite a small, tight-packed city, it's perfectly possible that Jesus and his followers might mm. be in one place and that Saul yes. of Tarsus. Yeah. And, you know, there were different movements. There were mm. people coming and going. So though it's physically possible, historically possible, we have no evidence Do, for supposing yeah. it Is it likely
2: so. at least that saul as as was um would have heard about this person making waves oh, drawing large yes, crowds and absolutely so
3: on. no th- that that is highly probable yes. um, because it was a great renewal movement yes. um but there were other renewal movements yes. um and the pharisees and saul was nothing if not a pharisee um were anxious about this because they too were a renewal mm, movement mm. and it's as though you know you start this great political party and you're going strong and then here's somebody else doing a very similar thing um Mm. do they share our objectives what's going on do we approve of them so i think there may well have been some Mm. tension there Mm. but um again no sign of an actual personal meeting (laughs) until the road to Damascus. indeed um and donald in conroe texas
2: said it's accepted by many that mark wrote his gospel under peter when it comes to the actual content i don't doubt this however considering mark was also a companion of paul Do you see a connection between the actual message or intent of Mark's gospel and the Pauline message of the kingdom, as described in your book, Paul, a biography.
3: Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of toing and froing between a lot of early Christians. A lot of the work that's been done, say, on the Gospels recently, um, well, over the last generation, has indicated that uh, the Gospels were for all Christians and that there was a lot of travelling in, in the first century. Mm. There was a good Roman road system, and Christians pop up here and there, the same people in Ephesus, and then back in Rome and in Corinth, and they're taking documents around with them and uh there's every reason to suppose that as the gospels are written um that this was going on all the time the problem comes when people imagine that the gospels are about the kingdom of god and that paul is talking about something else Mm. namely um, jesus and how to get to heaven or something it's really not like that they're all talking about the kingdom of god as being inaugurated by jesus and established through his death and resurrection paul of course focuses on the death and resurrection but they are the death and resurrection which established jesus as the king the lord of the world which is where the whole kingdom of god message Mm. was going so really there is a very easy confluence between the two um of course paul is not in his letters telling us the whole story of jesus life as mark or whoever does Mm. or part of it um but I'm assuming that Paul knew a great deal about Jesus' life. Um, but for him, that was all summarized in what his death and resurrection yes. achieved. I uh, mean, I suppose when Paul's traveling
2: and writing and establishing churches, uh, f- for a certain period of that, the um, the history of Jesus, the, the stories are being yeah. passed on in an oral way. Yeah, yeah. and then But being written down, Mark at least, within Paul's lifetime Uh, Um,
3: yes uh, I always say to my students that if you read the textbooks they will say that Mark is written in the late 60s and mm. Matthew and Luke and John thereafter we actually don't know that there is no hard evidence for saying any of that they might all have been written as early as 50 AD I don't think they were Mm. but they might have been they might all be not written until Mm. 85 I Mm. don't think they're that late Mm. but they could be because the, the crucial bit of evidence about where are they in relation to the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70 mm. is much more ambiguous than yes. people have usually made out. Um, and as well, there was some prejudices in the last century or two about saying, well, they should have really been living by faith and just waiting for the law to return. They shouldn't have been writing history. Um, Uh, and so this must represent a failure of nerve after the first generation Mm -hmm. that is complete rubbish Mm. that's simply not how they thought and they're not writing history in the sense of nostalgic jottings about how it was way back when they're telling the story of how god's age-old purposes for israel and the world came to their climax in jesus in order to launch this new Mm. movement and you could tell that story in 35 AD or you could tell it in 95 and Mm. you'd still want to do it and Paul will be
2: right there in the (laughs) middle of it Good stuff. Hope that's helped with some of the questions that have come in on the Apostle Paul. I'm sure we'll return to that in due course. There were lots more questions about Paul that I could have reached for (laughs) in the mailbag. Um, But uh, do make sure to uh, uh, get us your questions as well. Whatever they're on, we try to keep mixing up the themes from podcast episode to episode. And uh, we do try to tackle as many different things as we can. And uh, next time it'll be something completely different. So uh, do come back again for next time and for the moment. Thank you very much. Thank you.
3: Good to be with you.
1: Thank you very much for listening to that classic episode of Ask NT Write Anything. If you want more Ask NT Write content or even more apologetics content from Premier Unbelievable, then you can find that at premierunbelievable.com. And if you sign up there, you'll get access to all the content on the website, exclusive bonus videos, and ebooks and our newsletter. So sign up there at premierunbelievable.com if you want more. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next time for more Ask NT Write Anything.